could all open a Bible at Luke 13. We're going to look at a short passage, Luke 13, verses 18 to 21. I've called this talk the secret of church growth, and you'll see why. Let me read the passage. Luke 13, Luke 13, 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Well, that's the reading. Now, what do we get get from it? One of the things that's very clear in the Bible is that the decisions we make will have long-lasting consequences. There's a young lad at, at school who is a bit nerdy. He, uh, he wore spectacles, didn't enjoy ball games. He just fiddled around with his computer. An onlooker would think, well, uh, he won't go very far. Actually, he was very good with computers, and when he was 16 years old, he managed to get a contract with his uh, city for road management, and he got well paid for that. But he was intelligent, and he got into university, but he dropped out after two years. And an onlooker might think, well, uh, his decision-making isn't particularly brilliant. Actually, as some of you know, the real reason he dropped out was his company that he'd started up was growing so fast that he had to get more involved. And his decision-making became much clearer later. By 1987, this nerd had become America's youngest billionaire. He, he ordered three very posh cars, a Porsche, a Ferrari, and a Lexus all at the same time. He built himself a massive mansion down in Seattle. In 1993, age 36, he became America's richest man. In those days, with just 6.4 billion. You see, his decision-making, outsiders might think at first uh, a bit funny. But in worldly terms, they they weren't bad. To found Microsoft is not, (laughs) uh, in worldly terms, a bad thing to have done. Now, cause and effect is right at the middle of these two very short parables. You notice as I read it, the first one is for men. The second one is for women. A woman took the yeast. Now, the Bible obviously recognizes, and Jesus does, that there are real differences between men and women. But the decisions we all make will have consequences. Now, let's see what magnificent happenings occur because of these uh, consequences. The mustard seed. All got there? 
Why, why a mustard seed? It's, it's very small, extremely small. If you're a gardener, it's a bit like a Gadisha seed. Anyone put Gadishas down? Minute little seeds. Uh, but the tree it grows into it gets to about 10 to 12 foot. Not massive. Clearly, Jesus isn't emphasizing the uh, impressive kingdom that he's founding. Because if he would, I mean, he'd use a, a picture of a, I don't know, a cedar, something like that, something really big. Um, well, for Jesus, there's clearly a connection between what the man does and what the woman does and the effect. It, it's a miracle how such a pathetic little thing, seed, can grow into this great plant. Now, it's emphasized, if you like to flick over to, to 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians, we, we do 12 first. This is quite an important uh, verse. If you've got your own Bible, it's worth underlining. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Remember, ah, good to see rustling going on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Sorry? 11.66. Thank you very much. My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will, I will both... Uh, is that the, the right bit? 2 Corinthians 12.9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap, reap sparingly. That's not the right verse, is it? Someone like to find out where it comes if you've got a concordance or something. I've got that one wrong. Um, but the message is right. Whoever sows sparingly. Verse 6. Thank you. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Which, sorry, which verse? 9 verse 6. Thank you. I don't know how I got that all wrong. So the question is, are we, are we sowing generously? And if we are, God says, and Paul says, we will reap. Do you remember that wonderful messianic prophecy in, in Ezekiel? Uh, actually, again, flick back now that you've found that wrong reference. See if I've got this one right. Ezekiel 17, verse 22. See who gets the page number first. We've got a, an expert here in front. Ezekiel 12, 17, uh, verse... 24. Verse 22. 845. Thank you. So this is comparing the coming Messiah to the unfaithful king who's going to go into captivity. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of the cedar and then later I will plant it I will break off a tender sprig and plant it 
It will produce branches and bear fruit. Birds of every kind will rest in it. They'll find shelter in the shade of its branches. It's the same picture, isn't it? That God is going to establish a new kingdom. So, when Jesus talks about this in Luke 13, his listeners would have known the scriptures. God's kingdom will become like a vast cedar where nations will come and rest in its branches. Now, some people might say, well, frankly, isn't this a bit pie in the sky? It's a bit of a utopian dream. Uh, there are many prophecies in the Old Testament. Are they really fulfilled in Jesus? Is, is Jesus the, the branch that later on Zechariah uh, and Isaiah talk about? Have people from every nation found peace and security in him? I think anyone who honestly looks at it will say yes. He is the fulfillment of these uh, prophecies. A tiny seed from an insignificant little family up in Galilee has indeed become a tree in which the nations rest. And that's what we are here. So what is the seed? See, it surely is, it's news about Jesus. It's telling people about him. But we mustn't miss the point. Back, back here in, in Luke. It's the same as in the parable of the sower. Do you remember in the sower? The sower sowed the seed. And look what this is. It's like a seed that a man took. The man planted. And surely Jesus is saying, look, a little thing, an insignificant little word that you plant can have an effect. When we're walking the, the dog, I, we, we always pray that uh, God will lead us to speak to somebody. We go for a walk every day. Uh, when I wrote this talk out in the morning, I'd been on this walk and I just happened to meet a, a lady with a slightly foreign accent, spoke good English. In fact, I learned she came from the Czech Republic and she got two dogs. And she said, that's a friendly dog you've got, Carly, if you know Carly. It's a very friendly dog. Uh, now, how do you move on from friendly dog to talk about Jesus? Well, it's not difficult. I just said, well, um, she, she has to be like this because we get a lot of children from the church coming around our home. And if she's not behaved like this, life would be very difficult. I've got to church. Now it's very simple to say, are you involved in a church anywhere? So that's what I asked her. She said, no, I've never been to a church in my life. I said, how come? She said, well, I was brought up in the Czech Republic. And my parents were terrified that they would lose their job because it's a communist country. And they feared that if they talked or showed any interest in religion, that they'd be ousted. So we never went to church, and I've never been to church. What a wonderful opening then to, you know, to talk about you know, the Lord Jesus and the fact that it's true. It really is not difficult. Uh, maybe a small little seed, just to 
start off, but wonderful things can happen. Now, what I'd like you to do, just in groups of two, three, or four, is talk about how do we uh, start talking about Jesus? Imagine you're at a party, a birthday party, and you're talking to someone you don't know. Okay, and you've, be, you've prayed that the opportunity would come to ex- talk about the gospel to someone. How would you move on? Just, just imagine you're at this birthday party, sitting there with your glass of Coke or whatever you've got. Uh, how do you move on? Just discuss it on your tables just for a, a couple of minutes. All the best. Okay, I hope you got through, somehow get on to church, the easy way, anything to do church, and then pop the question. If you can't pop the question, uh, you'll, you'll find you extremely difficult to talk about Christian things. But as soon as you've learned to say, you know, you've talked about church, are you a Christian yourself or aren't you sure about these things? Always give them the way out, don't corner them, and you'll find more often than not, the conversation would flow. I used to go to church. I wish I'd got a faith. It really is not difficult. I think our problem is we're nervous about saying something that's perhaps a bit personal. Anyway, let's look back at this context here. Do you notice what the context is? Just look back at the the verses beforehand. Luke 13. Follows the miracle of the woman who's been crippled for 18 years. She's bent over with a severe kyphosis. You you see people today walking around with with this disease. But will you look and just see what's described, how Luke describes it? He describes her illness as being due to an evil spirit. Can you see that? Now, in the Bible, the two are linked. Jesus went around expelling evil spirits and healing various diseases all over the place. How come? You see, illness in the Bible of whatever kind is attributed to evil. And this is very important. It's not the evil done by the individual No, we're in an evil society, and unfortunately, people get caught with it. But there is a strong link between even a kyphoscoliosis and the effect of Satan in the world. And Jesus puts his hands on her, uh, and she was healed, and the problem was it was the Sabbath. (laughs) No healing work allowed on the Sabbath. So Jesus answers them, you, 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 pull your, you, you take your ox out or your donkey and give it water on the Sabbath. Can't God do this uh, to save people? Well, Jesus then moves on to this business of sowing the seed. You see, sowing the seed frees people in just the same way. It's a continual theme. Now look at the, the yeast parable. Now it's for the ladies. Uh, People 
used to joke about you know, microchips, didn't they, in the 1970s? You know, and us Luddites thought that we'd stay with our typewriters and quill pens and things. But now it's taken over. It's everywhere. It's dramatic. You see, an insignificant beginning has had a vast impact on society. Yeast is a, an intriguing metaphor because, well, you know why, because normally in the Bible it refers to sin and how sin gets into a, a person or into a society and its effect spreads. We are affected by the people we mix with. This is why we need to say to ourselves, um, and to particularly our young people, be careful who you mix with, because you will be influenced by them. But the gospel has the same effect. It gets into a group of people. It spreads. <coughs> people become Christians, and they become influenced by the gospel. So a little yeast mixed into, the picture here is massive, 22 litres of dough. In, in the original Greek, it's three satyrs, which is roughly 22 litres, massive amount of dough. It's going to have a dramatic effect. The whole kitchen will become full of dough. I love that picture. Uh, the world is big. But it needs the yeast of the gospel to get into people. And women have got to be involved, Jesus is saying, in this work too. Yeast is such a fascinating uh, metaphor. But Jesus also uses it to talk about the spread of his kingdom. So when we are putting yeast into a, a society that's a bit flat, then learning to, as we've just been talking about, get to the key point and to show that it really matters to us that people belong to the Lord Jesus, they are committed to him, is very important. Why are we so ashamed to say to people, you know, are you committed to the Lord Jesus yourself or aren't you sure? Because it's a difference between life and death. And if they say they're not sure, they've, you've started an honest conversation. And such words, when backed by caring actions, they, they may be insignificant. They say it may be so small, but... Hopefully, sometimes, they will reap great effects. You remember Jesus had uh, used the murder of the Galileans in the temple to ask the question, uh, were you uh, worse sinners than the other Galileans? It's the same sort of direct question. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Somehow we've got to learn to do this without being embarrassed so that the people we're talking to aren't embarrassed. At the same lesson in Luke 13, it's the Tower of Solarium. Do you remember this tower that had been built down the south of Jerusalem and toppled over? Killed 18 people. Now, who would we complain to today? 
you would have an inquiry, or the architect, the, the builder, the town planner, somebody, uh, their fault it was. What does Jesus say? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you too will perish. That's pretty direct stuff. We must learn from Jesus to, to be much more open about what it means to be saved. See, there's fruitlessness all around in the churches today. Look at verse 6 in our passage, the fruitless fig tree. What, what does Jesus say should happen to it? If after training and fertilizing, nothing happens, it exists, cut it down. It's, it's worrying. Churches, the figures at the moment is we're not seeing fruit. Except in, in London, as a whole, most areas, the churches are getting smaller and older. Should they be closed? No, give them another chance. But get them to teach the message of Jesus. Not just from the pulpit, but get everybody in the church sowing seeds, putting the yeast into society, talking about these things. And as we encourage and warn people with the word of God, the consequences can be out of proportion. Just, just like the yeast. <laughs> the, these parables, they're at the end of this section in, in Luke, and they, they do sum up Jesus' message. Look at Luke, Luke 12, 31. If you've got your Bible open there. But it's one I hope some of us know. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness sharing the gospel, being holy ourselves, seek first these things, and, the, and God will give you your, your basic needs. All these things will be yours. Make our priority the kingdom of God. In, in verse 21, we're, we're told of the man who built barns for himself, but doesn't seek the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying to us all, watch out, be ready. Make God's kingdom our priority in life. Pray every morning, Lord, where can I sow some seed today? Where can I put some yeast into a person's life? Of course, we, we've got to have our careers. We've got to make enough money. We've got to look after our family's needs. It's food, it's clothing, all these things. But the most important thing Jesus says is to Seek his kingdom first. That's our priority. It's so easy, isn't it, for other things to, to creep in and dampen our love for the Lord and establishing his kingdom. See, Jesus and his message is seemingly so small. The Rico Tice. He's had a dramatic effect. I remember many years ago, we were at Spring Harvest, and when there's a group of us, Hugh, Hugh Palmer, Rico, myself, and someone else, uh, and we were talking about the need for a new course to 
get people talking about the gospel. And out of this, we, we got Rico to start up exploring Christianity. And the result has been quite remarkable. But do you know how Rico became a Christian? He was from a, a godless home. He was very happily at school, playing lots of sport, rugby and everything else. And then suddenly he got the news that his godfather had been killed in a climbing accident. His godfather was very well off. He had his own yacht and he had his own business. But he was climbing up in the Alps and he slipped on a log that he was walking over and fell down the precipice and died. And absolutely hit Rico. And at that time he started to thinking, what's, what's life for? He started a diary. But when he read it later, he realized it was all about himself. It was very selfish, he says. And he started to think. He talked to uh, his maths master at the school. Some, some of you may know, Christopher Ash. I know Chris knows him very well. Uh, remarkable man. And this maths master just said something very simple to him. He said, when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose to take away all fear of death. Now, Rico had never thought about this before. And because of that small seed, he started to go along to the Christian group. He was invited. And it changed his life. He became captivated by Jesus. And he was invited to the Christian Union meeting. And he kept thinking about those two issues, the issue of death and his selfishness, his sin. And he realized that the answer was in Jesus because Jesus died on that cross to pay for his selfishness, his sin. And he rose from the dead to show that death had been conquered. And then he got his teeth into it. Is this really true? And it didn't take long for him to realize that Jesus died for him. For him on that cross. The answer to his selfishness. And he rose the answer to the problem of death. What? One thing before you started, I was very excited, and I'd like to finish with this. Would you please turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Verse, compare verses 5 and 6. You know, whose job is it to convert people? It, it, it's answered here. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, his preaching. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what the early church always preached. Jesus is Lord. He's coming back. He's died for our sin. He's risen to give us confidence. Wow, we're servants. But it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness and made his light shine in our hearts. Do you see the two? We sow the seed. 
We preach, we pass on the gospel, and then pray. This is what makes us pray, that God will let his light shine in the people we've talked to, the people we've invited. It's a great couple of verses, isn't it? We've got to sow the seed. We've got to put the yeast into, uh, into this world. And God starts with small groups, small people. And let's pray that he's going to do that again, particularly with Passion for Life coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for small words that have changed people's lives. Thank you for those words that Christopher Ash said to Rico. Thank you that in the end, it was your spirit who just convicted him about an answer to his fear of death and the answer to his fear of guilt. Lord, please be with us. Help each one of us to sow the seed, to be praying for opportunities, to be making opportunities, to tell people about Jesus. But Lord, we're looking for you to produce real fruit, to convert people permanently and to give them your spirit so they also become your servants. Amen.